0: You can be seated. One of the most compelling moments in the Bible is seen here in the verses that we just read. Jesus is just a few moments away from being betrayed by Judas Iscariot. He's about to be arrested by Roman soldiers who have been provoked by the religious leaders of that day. By the way, you read about the troubles that Jesus encountered in his earthly ministry and finally the mechanism that was used to bring him to the cross. It wasn't sinners. It was religious people, it was so-called religious leaders who, uh, who condemned our Savior, who criticized our Savior, who, uh, who were there to try to trip him up. People who, uh, you know, we called them Pharisees and Sadducees, and people who had an outward appearance of religiosity and they looked very sanctimonious, but Jesus described them best when he looked at the Pharisees and scribes and Sadducees and he said, "Ye are like whited sepulchers. Whited sepulchers, he said, you look like really nice and shiny tombstones is what he said, if we were to put it in our terms today. He said, you look really good on the outside, he said, but on the inside, you're full of dead men's bones. You're not so hot on the inside. God deliver us from the sanctimonious mentality or attitude that would be condemning of others when on the inside, we need to make sure that we're right with the Lord. And uh, it's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. And revival will come to our country and to our churches and, yea, to ourselves when we quit passing the spiritual book to everybody else and pointing a finger of blame at everybody else and look at ourselves in the mirror and say, hey, you know what my problem is? It's you in the mirror. That's when we'll see revival in our homes and in our country and in our churches and Jesus had problems with the religious crowd, those who would condemn him. And in just a few hours, in just a matter of a few moments, Jesus is going to be beaten and mocked and crucified. He's going to receive the kiss of betrayal from somebody who said he was his follower, Judas Iscariot. And in just a few hours, it won't be long before the nails will be driven into his hands and into his feet. The crown of thorns will be plaited and pierce his brow. The agonies of the cross will be a reality. And on top of all of that, the sins of the whole world will be laid upon the Lamb of God. He leaves the disciples and goes deep into the garden of Gethsemane where he prays to his father. The Bible says it was where he was wont, W-O-N-T, meaning it was customary. It was a place where he frequented often to pray. Let me ask you a question. Do you have a place where you go to pray often? Do you have a place where you pray? If you pray haphazardly, you won't do much praying. If you pray when you feel like it, you won't do much praying. The Bible says that Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane, to the Mount of Olives, and, and he was wont to go there. It was his custom to go there. It was his, uh, uh, it was, it's where he went. It was his ritual, if you want to use that word. But the Bible tells us that his prayer on this occasion was so earnest and, so, and his grief so intense that he sweat drops of blood through the pores of his skin. That's pretty intense praying. The agonies of the cross and the weight of the world, literally, the weight of the sins of the world, that he, uh, as, as he thought about it, and as he prayed to his Father, knowing what was going to happen in the hours to come, uh, he was in so much grief and so intense was his conversation with his Heavenly Father that he sweat drops of blood. The statement that is most remembered from this prayer of our Lord is the one that we read together in verse number 42 saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. There's a lot of speculation. I've heard many messages on what Jesus meant when he said, let this cup pass from me. And that's not the purpose of the message this morning. The message, the focus of the message is on that second statement when he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done not my will. Some of the most difficult words ever uttered by the Savior during his life on this earth were those words. Yes, he was about to fulfill his reason for coming. Yes, he had been. Uh, he had set his face like a flint toward Jerusalem. Jesus knew why he was here. He knew that the moment for which he came, in fact, not just the moment for which he came, but the moment that had been set before the foundation of the world, was about to happen. The pinnacle of human history, the zenith of everything that we know as far as this world is concerned, hinged on what Jesus was about to do as he prepared to go to Calvary in just a few hours. But make no mistake about it. These were the most excruciating moments of the Savior's time here on this earth. And may I say this morning, those words that where Jesus said, not my will, but thine be done, those words were not only difficult for the Savior under the circumstances in which he prayed them, but they're difficult for me and you sometimes. Not my will. Hard words to say. You know, I think about some words in our vocabulary that are sometimes hard for us to say. Sometimes our pride gets in the way. By the way, most of the time, if not all the time, when we struggle with that which is right, it it really boils down to pride. The Bible says, only by pride cometh contention. Notice what it it didn't say, sometimes by pride cometh contention. It said, only by pride cometh contention. In other words, (coughs) if uh, if I'm not what I ought to be toward a brother or sister in Christ, there's pride involved. Make no mistake about it. Only by pride cometh contention. Uh, and how many times does pride get in the way? And sometimes words become hard to say, words that we should say, because of our own pride. Let me give you an example. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Friction comes between a husband and a wife, or friction comes between friends, or friction comes between Uh, co-workers or friction it doesn't matter what the human relationship is sometimes we need to say the words I'm sorry But you ever notice how hard those words can be to say sometimes Um, we choke on them you know why pride pride and here's another statement that pride keeps us from saying sometimes And on our face before God, God, not my will, but thine be done. You know why it's so hard for us to say those words? I'll tell you why. It's because we're so bent on getting our way. We're so bent on having our will done. Very few of us, and for all of us on occasion, we're not interested many times in what is his will as much as we're interested in our will. Years ago, Brother Howells preached a sermon, and the title of his sermon was <laughs> "Was uh, God Let Me Do It or God Do It My Way. And that's the way we are. God, we want God, we want to take the steering wheel away from the Lord, the steering wheel of our lives, and we want to drive. We want to be in control. We want to 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 have uh, uh, the uh, uh, the the right to say, "Here's where I'm going to go. Here's where I want to do it. Here's how I want it done." We we say to God, in essence, God, I want you to do it my way, or God, just let me do it. You've heard me tell the story many times about uh, as a kid, my dad would set me in his lap when he was driving. Uh, Most folks don't do this. Uh, nowadays but uh, uh, on occasion he would set me in his lap while he was driving down a country road or something and and uh, and he'd let me put my hands on the steering wheel but he had his hands on the steering wheel now he made me think that I was driving but I wasn't driving he was driving and you've heard me say many times where the day came when I say we would be in a a parking lot somewhere and I'd say uh, I'd say daddy let me drive I want to drive you take I try to take his big hands off the steering wheel and I'd say, Daddy, let me drive. <coughs> and uh, you know what? When we were driving to New York City the other day, not one person in my van, not one person said, hey, can I drive? Uh, not one. It's hard to get any help around here these days. But anyway, I digress. But I'd say, Daddy, would you let me drive? And so he'd pull into a parking lot somewhere and he'd say, okay, <coughs> a big parking lot where there were no light poles, no curbs. Just asphalt. That's it, and <laughs> and uh, and he would uh, he'd we, he'd uh, he'd say, okay, it's all yours. And so <clears throat> I'd uh, I'd put my hands on the steering wheel and and uh, and he'd give a little gas and I'd go on for a little bit. And uh, and he'd say, whoa, you're doing a great job, man. That's awesome, man. You're you're going straight down the line. And I'd do something like this. I am doing good, aren't I? And about that, t- <laughs> and about that time, I'm taking a hard left or a hard right somewhere. And that's the way we are with our will. We say to God, God, I know you know what's best for me. We give lip service to those things. But we, in essence, say, God, would you let me drive? God, would you do this my way? Or even better yet, would you let me do it, God? But the example set by our Savior in the Garden of Gethsemane was simply this. Nevertheless, God, not my will, but thine be done. But thine be done. Some of the most difficult words ever uttered, not my will. Our flesh gets in the way. Our desires get in the way. Our our preferences get in the way. Let me make several introductory statements here. First of all, God's will is good, but it doesn't always seem good at the time. God's will is always good, but God's will does not always seem good at the time. This is a classic example right here. Jesus is getting ready to go to Calvary. If you look at it in strictly human terms, the greatest injustice ever done on this earth was when the Son of God, he who knew no sin, became sin for me. You want to talk about injustice? We can talk all day about some of the the social injustices of the world, but the ultimate injustice was when he who never did anything wrong took upon himself the sin of mankind. Let's talk injustice. But wait a minute, it was the will of God. It was the will of the Father. Now, it was good, but it didn't seem good. Number two, I want you to see this. God's will is sometimes uncomfortable. God's will, what God desires for your life, is not, doesn't always mean comfort to you and I. It doesn't always mean convenience for you and I. You know what we want? You and I, our flesh wants everything nice and soft. We want a paved road with no potholes. We want. Somebody said you have to move to a different state, sir. But anyway, uh, we want. We want. We want everything to be nice and smooth, don't we? But that may not be what God wants for us. Have you ever thought about this? Perhaps your heavenly Father would rather you be holy than you be happy. Now wait a minute. I didn't say God wants you miserable. But our Heavenly Father is more interested, first of all, first and foremost of all, in our holiness than he is our happiness. Let me say this. Holiness leads to joy and real happiness. Our thinking is this. Well, you know, God's will may not be comfortable, therefore count me out. God's will may not be convenient, therefore count me out. God's will may not be what I desire, therefore count me out. No, no. Jesus said, nevertheless, not my will. He was about to go to Calvary. He was getting ready to go and suffer like no one has ever suffered before. Not just physical suffering, but the torments of the sin that, that he bore in his own body on the tree, the Bible says. And he did it for you and me, but it wasn't comfortable. Jesus was willing to be put out for me? Am I willing to be put out for him? Am I willing to be uncomfortable, inconvenienced? Am I willing to go through maybe even some pain and suffering for his name's sake? I was speaking the other day to someone who visited our church a few weeks ago, and and, uh, I I don't see him. He may be here this morning, I'm not sure, but He originally is uh, from India, the subcontinent of India, and he said, we're talking about religious persecution and people who are suffering for the cause of Christ in other lands. I'm talking about physical suffering. I'm talking about imprisonment. I'm talking about beatings. I'm talking about public floggings. I'm talking about things that we can't even wrap our minds around here in the United States of America. And he said, he made the statement, In response to a question, I said, I said, it must be pretty tough to live for the Lord under such circumstances when, you know, you may face physical persecution. And here's what he said. He said, Pastor, it separates those who are true believers. Set me back a little bit. He said it separates those who are true believers from those who just make a vain profession. And he wasn't saying that in the context of trying to judge anyone's sincerity or anyone's salvation. But what he was saying is, hey, living for God is not always going to be comfortable. The Bible says, yeah, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Now, it's in the book, folks. I don't say that in an effort to uh, sugarcoat anything. It's reality. If you're going to live for the Lord, you're going to have to set aside your will. If you're going to do what God wants, you're going to have to set aside what you want. And a lot of folks aren't willing to do that. I said, first of all, God's will is good, but it doesn't always seem good at the time. God's will is sometimes uncomfortable. God's will may sometimes provoke us to ask the question, why? 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 If you remember the story of the cross, Jesus, as he's hanging paying the sin debt that you and I owe. By the way, he uh, he paid a debt that he did not owe, and I owe a debt that I cannot pay. Thank God he paid it for me. But as Jesus was hanging on the cross, one of the seven sayings that our Lord uttered while he was hanging there, he said, my God, my God, why? Why? Of course, it was a fulfillment of psalm uh, 22 i believe it is my god my god why hast thou forsaken me let me tell you he was in his father's will no one would say that jesus on the cross was outside of the will of the heavenly father no that was exactly what god's will for him was but god's will for his son included suffering god's will for his son caused the son to say god why And let me tell you something, this whole modern, uh, uh, easy religion kind of uh, society that we live in, well, you better be careful. Be very careful about any religious organization or someone who stands up and says, if you live for God, your problems are all over. That's not scriptural. Be wary of somebody who tries to get you to believe that doing the will of God is somehow going to, pave the way for you, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to put you on the fast track to uh, uh, money and success and all this kind of stuff. Look, where do you find that in your Bible? Sometimes God's will causes us to ask the question, Lord, are you still up there? Hey, God, remember me? Why? Why did this happen to me? Why did these circumstances come my way? Sometimes God's will is like that. But then I want you to see this very quickly God's will always ends in God's glory. Yeah. Hey, let me tell you something. It's worth having to ask why to be in God's will. It's worth it. Now, lest you doubt that, you're saved this morning if you've received Christ. But it took a whole lot of suffering for our Savior on the cross. It took a whole lot of angst, it took a whole lot of agony, it took a whole lot of, uh, of, uh, of him doing things that were not pleasant, going through uh, the, 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 the Roman scourge and the beatings and the, the buffeting at the hands of the chief priests and scribes and all of that he, that he went to in the moments and, and hours leading up to the death itself on the cross. But if you're here this morning and you're saved, you'd have to say, you know what, it was well worth it. Because gone, 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 yes, my sins are gone. Now my soul is clean and in my heart's a song, buried in the depths of the deepest sea. Yes, that's good enough for me. Thank God my sins are gone. But part of that included Jesus going through God's will. But notice, God's will always ends in his glory. Now notice, I didn't say God's will ends in your glory. God's will is not going to end in my glory. Hey, where do we get off thinking that this life is about our glory anyway? Your existence on this planet, my existence on this planet, has nothing to do, should have nothing to do, with my glory or your glory. It's about his glory. Whether, therefore, you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, the Bible says, do all to the glory of God of God to the glory of God everything it's about him in Romans chapter 4 and verse number 11 there's a song that's recorded there that'll be sung uh, in the ages to come and it's, it talks about for thou hast made all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created hey I was made for God's pleasure I was made for God's glory. I was made for God to have fun. I was made for God to say, hey, I enjoyed that. And we get in trouble when our life becomes all about us having glory and us having pleasure and us having fun and us having the, the easy street and us being comfortable and us being uh, convenience. That's when we get in trouble. God's will always ends in his glory. My friend, I got good news for you. If you'll set out to do the will of god for your life and we'll outline a little bit of what what that includes here in just a moment but if your life is all about god's glory if your life is all about doing the will of god for your life i'll promise you something one day you'll hear those words that we all long to hear well done good and faithful servant that's what we want to hear isn't it well done good and faithful servant but hey God's will always ends in his glory. God's will sometimes includes suffering. God's will sometimes includes suffering. I think we mentioned this uh, uh, in passing a few moments ago. Though all of us, uh, all these things are true, the greatest place for you and I to be is in the dead center will of God's will for our lives. Let me ask you a question. Whose will are you interested in this morning? It can only be one of two choices. You see, if you're interested only in your will, God's will is not possible. They will not not coexist in your life. As long as you have to have your way, God will never have his. He'll never have his. Oh, preacher, here's what I want for my life. Oh, you know what? You can do that. You you can pursue whatever it is you want to pursue. But the very first step in you accomplishing God's will for your life is your will must die. My will must die. When God started dealing with me as a teenager about full-time Christian service, I had some plans. I had some dreams. I had some aspirations. I had some things that I wanted to accomplish. I had a career in mind. But somebody stood up at a camp one day and said exactly what I'm saying to you this morning. Hey, as long as as long as you insist on you having control, as long as you insist on having your hands on the steering wheel of your life and saying, God, keep your hands off. This is my, this is my car, this is where I'm going. This is my life. This is where I'm headed. God, you just you just stay out of the way. Let me do my whole thing. And the preacher that day said, as long as that's your attitude is, he said, you can forget about accomplishing what God wants you to accomplish because my will and God's will will not coexist one has to win out over the other I'll share with you a couple of things God has a will for you God has a place for you God has a purpose for you much of his will for your life is expressed inside the pages of this book that sits in front of me, the book that you have open in your lap right now, the, the, the word of God, His God's will is inseparable from God's word. And in the pages of that blessed book, I find what God's will for me is. And generally speaking, I find out what God's will for all of us is. Hey, I am saved. You know why? It's God's will for me to be saved. It is God's will for you and I to be saved. I can say that with all of the assurance in the world based on the authority of that book. The Bible says that the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, I don't know know how you decipher the word all in the Greek there, but in English it means everybody. And this nonsense of folks who say that God has preordained some to heaven and some to hell is nonsense and straight out of hell. That's where it came from. His whole idea that, uh, that somehow there's a God in heaven who handpicks some to go to heaven and discards others of his creatures to hell uh, by, by something that is, uh, that is against the will of man, it, that's not scriptural. He said, the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, that whosoever doesn't have an asterisk next to it, that means only those that God has chosen though. No. That's no, so whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Hey, there's a God in heaven who wants you to go to heaven. It's part of his will for your life. And may I say this morning, if you die and go to hell, it'll be against the will of a God who loves you very much. He's not going to make you get, uh, it's not irresistible grace. He's not going to force his grace upon you. He's not going to force you to get saved. He's not going uh, to drop kick you into heaven against your will. But I will say this, if you choose not to receive Christ this morning, let me tell you, it'll be over, the, over what Jesus did for you in his death, burial, and resurrection. He's done all the work. All you need to do is say yes to him. Yes to him. God wants people to be saved. Hey, what's God's will for us? God wants saved people to get baptized. Do you hear what I said? He wants saved folks to get baptized. Now, baptism doesn't save you. You you, you have to already be saved to get baptized. You say, what if I get baptized and I'm not saved? And you didn't get baptized. You got wet. (laughs) There's a difference in getting saved than getting baptized and getting wet. Hey, you you can get dunked in every tank, in Oakland County, Michigan, uh, you can get baptized out here in the Wilmot Drain. You can get baptized in swimming pool. But, but let me tell you something. If you didn't get saved, you didn't get baptized. You got wet. But God's will is for everybody to be saved. God's will is for those of us who are saved to follow the Lord and believers' baptism. It's called obedience. If you're here this morning and you've never been saved, hey, let me just outline what God's will for you is to, today today. Today, July 28, 2019, God's will for you, if you're not saved, his will for you today is to get saved. I know that beyond any shadow of a doubt. If you're here today and you've been saved, but you've never followed the Lord and believers' baptism since you've been saved, God's will for you right here, right now is to get in that tank of water right there and get baptized. That's what his will is. You say, preacher, you know that? I know that based on the authority of the scriptures. The Ethiopian eunuch said, hey, he got saved. And uh, uh, Philip was led out there to the wilderness to lead him to, to the Lord, to the desert there. And the eunuch said, hey, there's water. What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe, you can be. God's will is a wonderful thing, but you've got to lose your will. You've got to lose your will. Hey, God wants All people to be saved. God wants saved people to be baptized. Hey, I got another one. God's will for all of us. He wants us to be sanctified. Sanctified. What does it mean, preacher? Sanctified. That sounds really holy. It does, doesn't it? Sanctified. That's a big word. Sanctified. Salvation is the miracle of a moment. I got saved, and and, 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 and that moment that I trusted Christ, the Bible says that All things were made new. Now, wait a minute. Sanctification is the process of a lifetime. Salvation is the miracle of a moment. Sanctification is the process of a lifetime whereby every single day of the world, I want to yield my will to the will of my Heavenly Father. I want to yield my ways to conform to His ways. I want to yield my words to conform and only say what He would have me to say. This morning, I knelt in my office before coming out for Sunday school, as I, as I always do, and I quote the verse Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Why? Because say, I, I want my words to be conformed only to what he wants me to say. Sanctified. That's, not, that's not, not talking about sinlessness, not talking about perfection. You're never going to have that until we get to that day that we talked about in Sunday school where we're raptured to meet the Lord and then have that glorified body. But I'm simply saying God wants everyone to be saved. That's his will. God wants saved folks to get baptized. That's his will. God wants those who are saved and baptized, he wants us to be becoming sanctified. It's a process. Set apart from the world. Set apart unto the Lord. Set apart in holy living. Set apart in dressing right. Set apart in talking right. Set apart in thinking right. Set apart in our our associations with the Lord. Hey, I'm simply saying, God has a will, but you'll never find that will, my friend, until you say, as the Savior said, not my will. Let thine be done. You know why a lot of God's people choke on the things of the world? I'll tell you why. It's real simple. They've never come to the place where they could say, God, you have your way. You have your way. No, it's, God, I'm, I'm going to, this is my body and I'll dress the way I want to. God, this is my life and I'll live the way I want to. God, this is my, 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 like a three-year-old throwing a temper tantrum. My, 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 my. That's how we act. And as long as we act that way, God said, okay, that's your will. Until you're willing to lose your will, don't even think about mine. God wants all people to be saved. God wants saved folks. By the way, if you're going to be saved, you're going to be saved God's way. Did you hear what I said? You're not going to get saved your way. You're going to get saved God's way or not at all. God's way or not at all. Oh, Pastor, I, I, I want to be sad. I was walking in Times Square the other day and, uh, with, with our family, and we were just walking around just some, some uh, nearby attractions to Grand Central Station. We had a schedule to keep and so forth, and a lot of stories to go along with that. But I saw someone who was uh, dressed in a, a long white robe, and he was passing out flowers and some literature or whatever. Can I tell you what that man thought he was doing? He thought he was going to heaven his way. I'm not here to condemn him. The Bible says that he's condemned already if he's not trusted in Jesus Christ as his Savior. And I hope he comes to the knowledge of the truth one day. But you understand something. He's no different than anybody who says, I'll go to heaven by good works. I'll go to heaven by baptism. I'll go to heaven by church attendance. I'll go to heaven this way or that way. No, sir. You'll only go to heaven, my friend, if you go God's way. That's it. That's it. God wants those of us who are saved to be baptized. He wants saved and baptized folks to, be, to follow him in other areas of obedience. It's called sanctification. God wants us to be a part of a good Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church. God wants us to be involved in winning the loss of Christ. God wants us to be involved in serving others. Hey, those things are all inclusive in what his will for your life is. 21 years I was youth pastor, and how many times did a teenager come to me and say something like this? Brother Kevin, how can I know what God's will for my life is. Let me tell you, let me paraphrase what they meant when they said that. I want to know who I'm going to marry, where I'm going to live, what color my house is going to be, what kind of car I'm going to drive, how many kids I'm going to have. That's what they meant by that. They didn't put those terms. But how many times do I ask the question, how can I know what God wants for me? Rule number one is forget about what you want for you. Do you hear what I said? Forget about what you want for you. That was the prayer of our Savior. That was his his final prayer, as as far as we know, on this side of Calvary. Nevertheless, Father, not my will. If you're going to know God's will for your life, you're going to have to ditch yours. You've got to bury yours. You're going to have to quit believing that you got it all figured out. That you got the world by the tail. You're going to have to quit with the nonsense of life according to you, and somehow God has to match the way you see things. I'm sorry, God doesn't do that. God doesn't do that. He doesn't do it with salvation. He doesn't do it with baptism. He doesn't do it with sanctification. He doesn't do it with holy living. No. We're supposed to go to his will. He's not coming to conform to ours. He never has, and he never will. Nevertheless, Jesus said, Father, not my will. Can you honestly say that this morning? Can you set your foolish pride aside long enough to say, God, it doesn't matter what I want? You want me to be in church tonight, God? It's done. Because not my will. You want me to be saved by grace through faith because that's the only way to be saved? Okay, not my will. You want me to be dunked in a tank of water after after salvation? It's called baptism? I may not necessarily understand it all, but nevertheless, not my will. By the way, it's okay to understand the symbolism and the meaning of baptism. I'm identifying with Christ in his death and then i'm raised to walk in newness of life but the biggest thing is like the like the the ethiopian eunuch said hey what keeps me from being baptized here's some water wasn't a big pomp and circumstance saying here's some water and philip said if thou believest thou mayest you know why that's god's way it's god's will where are you in that progression that we talked about if you're saved wonderful have you been scripturally baptized If you've been scripturally baptized, wonderful. Are you in that process of sanctification where you are on a daily basis? And by the way, it is a daily struggle, a daily battle where we have to die to self on a daily basis. In fact, the the great apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, he said, I die daily. (laughs) What do you mean? What he was saying is I have to die to my own will every day. It's a daily struggle. But let me tell you something. It's a daily struggle that's worth fighting. And it's a daily struggle that will ultimately end in God's glory if we, if we continually take step after step after step saying, Father, not my will, thine be done. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Every head bowed, as every, every eyes closed.